With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome back to... I saw the Beatles. Let's continue our conversation with Ivor Davis. This is part two as he continues to talk about being on tour with the Fab Four in 1964. Okay, so yeah. let's let's get back to 1964, um, and hopefully Matcha has settled down here for a couple minutes. Um, so so you know they're. They're go, they go back to the room. Their adrenaline's all pumped up and everything after these shows. What are they doing in the room? Are they, is it like dinner time and, you know, they just let it yeah, all? Yes. Just... Well, they would, first of all, they were prisoners in the room, every single place. And, in fact, that was one of the disappointing things about going to America. John told me at the end he never got a chance to see America. So they would go back to the room and there would be a limited number of people that would come and talk to them. And that's why it was fantastic because I would say two doors away in a smaller room, they had suites and we would wander in. I would raid the minibar um, and we would chat and the Beatles needed somebody to talk to. Uh, so that would happen. And the other thing that would happen would be maybe at one or two o'clock in the morning, John would call our room and say, come over, I'm playing Monopoly. And I and Arthur Schreiber, who was a Westinghouse political reporter who suddenly found himself on the trip, would come over to John's room and we would play Monopoly. And what I remember about Monopoly are two things, if I may tell you. May I tell you the two Monopoly things? Absolutely. Okay, number one, um, when we played Monopoly, John was a terrible cheat. And I say that... <laughs> And I hope, I hope that Yoko doesn't sue me for saying that. But, but indeed, John would roll the dice until he landed on the property, the monopoly property that he wanted. So that was it. And the other wonderful thing was it was 2 in the morning. It was 10 a.m. in Liverpool. And while we were there, in the middle of a game, John would pick up the phone and call England and speak to baby Goo Goo Baby Julian who was uh -huh. a, a child, one, one year old. And he would make, it was kind of funny, he would make goo-goo-ba-ba noises to, to <laughs> Julian. And, of course, then he had a conversation with Cynthia, but he spent most of his time talking to the baby. And so uh -huh. that was the several evenings, and that's quite a nice little touch. So uh, he, he obviously missed his, his new child, and um, and that was the way... He did it. And making overseas calls was back then a little bit more complex than it is today with FaceTime and all that rest of the stuff. So I always remember that. And a couple of times I walked into the room in, in the daytime and there was John and there was Paul sitting on the floor 
with a yellow legal pad notepaper and they were writing songs. And as soon as I saw that, or writing music, as soon as I saw that, I would leave. But, but the only, my only regret of the many regrets I had was that I saw um, the sort of crumpled up notepaper that they'd written song lyrics on that they were throwing, uh, tossing in the waste paper basket. And some of them missed the waste paper basket. And if I'd been, if I'd had any sense back then, I would, I would be a rich man today. Yes, you would. Yes, you would. That's what I was just about to say. Baby, you'd be a rich man. <laughs> That's a good song. Yes. Um, I believe that was written for uh, uh, Epstein. I think that's yes, what they was. say. It's, yeah. Um, yes, I did, because, yeah, because I, I just interrupt you there. The reason they wrote it for Epstein was that the, the, the boys were working class lads. As, as I remember John sang that wonderful song, Working Class Hero, much later. And mm-hmm. Brian, was a Brian was a well-to-do person. He grew up in the posh neighborhood of Liverpool. And, and um, the other thing was, of course, he was so rich, according to the Beatles, that, that they, they thought uh, when, when Brian offered his opportunity to represent them as their manager, Paul said, well, let's, let's get Brian. He's, he's a wealthy guy. He knows how to handle money. So we'll, we'll, you know, we will sign with him. Anyway, I've gone off off course a little bit. Back to you. No, all information is good information. You you're you've got the you've got the inside on this. So after you know you, you go on tour, you know does it start to get boring near the end of this tour, or are they getting real tired? How are they acting towards the end? Or were they still wired up? I mean, they were young at the time, and this is their first big, you know, American tour. How were they taking it all? I would say they didn't get bored. They got a bit tired, and they did fortunately take a two- or three-day break during the tour before we went to we were to Dallas. And then after Dallas, they took a trip. The guy who, who, get, who rented the, uh, the, the, the chartered jet had a terrific farm, a, a terrific ranch, and it was Brian Epstein's birthday. So the boys went off alone for two or three days to this ranch. Uh, which was which was um, a remote place, and they they made like schoolboys at the ranch. They played around in go karts and stuff like that, which was a great uh, breather for them. And then after two or three days on the ranch, we rejoined them in New York, and uh, they finished New York and they went home. So the, it's true. Every time uh, John wanted to go out, John in Dallas with wanted to go and visit the scene where John Kennedy had been assassinated. But Brian said, no, John, if you go there, it'll be a lot of, a lot of publicity. And, and um, America is still bruised and bleeding from that. Don't go. So John didn't go. And I'll tell you this, at the end of the tour, John said to me, I love the tour. It was terrific. We, it, 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 it was beyond our wildest dreams but I never got a chance to see America, and that's my only regret. Yeah, and but and it, it that's that's kind of the the bad part of being famous. But that's what he always wanted. He wanted to be famous. He wanted to be huge. He wanted to be a star. I think even today, people who you know um, have that same dream and end up in Hollywood, you know, stars in Hollywood, don't get the the part of how you know 
how what a, a, a secluded life they have to lead and that they just can't go out in public and do what they used to do prior to well, well, uh, yes yes you're absolutely right on that i mean look at it today uh look at look at paul mccartney and, and, and ringo Starr. i mean paul can't go out in public unless he goes in disguise which he sometimes does and he puts a a funny hat on and a, and a fake moustache and goes out with, with his wife, Nancy. But none mm-hmm. of them can go anywhere without causing a riot. So if you think it was bad back in 1964, um, what is it like today with Ringo and Paul, who are still very active in concerts and have a busy life? So they have to live, live for their own safety, uh, fairly secluded lives. Yeah. So let's 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 go back a second here. There was one other incident that um one other one other uh day, interesting day that I can think of while you were on tour with them, and that's when they went to meet Elvis. Yes. Now I should explain that in nineteen sixty four they wanted to meet Elvis, but Elvis didn't have the time and the Beatles certainly didn't have the time. I know that Colonel Parker, who was Elvis's manager, met with Brian Epstein at the Beverly Hills Hotel for lunch a couple of times to talk about mm-hmm. bringing, bringing them together. It never happened in 1964. However, it did happen in 1965. This, this month, would you believe, this month, August, uh, it finally happened on the second tour in 19. 19- now, August 1965, I got a call. Mal Evans, the roadie, said, come over to the house. We're going to see Elvis. And I knew that it was in, in, uh, hopefully going to happen. And so I went mm-hmm. over to the house, and we jumped in the limos, and we went to see Elvis. Now, people always talk about these houses of Elvis, how they expected these huge, huge mansions. Was this one of the huge mansions that was a disappointment and actually rather small, or was this actually a a, a very large home that no. you were going to? No, I, I mean, I would describe it as a fairly standard uh, mansion. I mean, it wasn't gigantic. It was not great. Uh, Greystone, or um, what's Elvis's place in Memphis called? Uh, um, what, what, anyway, Elvis's palace in 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 in, um, in Memphis in, is, is right. was gigantic. Um, his house was really a house of convenience. Elvis owned it because he spent so much time in Hollywood making movie after movie after movie. So, jumping back, if I may, to uh, August of 1965, we show up at this fairly modest house. It was supposed to be a secret meeting, but believe it or not, there was about 100 girls outside the gates. I uh, don't know how they knew. I think Colonel Parker had tipped off the fan club. But ah. te- yeah, uh, that's how they showed up. But let me tell you this, which is an important addendum to this meeting. I saw a letter Brian Epstein wrote to Colonel Tom Parker, and in it he said, I do not think you should invite any press, any photographers, anyone to do a recording, because we don't want to exploit the situation. And believe it or not, 
when I went along with Elvis on that August, uh, to meet Elvis on that August night, no cameras, no tape recorders, not a single picture of that meeting. But I was inside and uh, was able to, to see what actually played out in Elvis's rather dark living room because there were heavy carpeting, heavy furniture, a little bit over, uh, over-decorated, uh, and, of course, heavy windows. And the other thing I remember is when we saw Elvis, he was sitting down on a long white settee, and he was wearing, at about 10 o'clock at night, sunglasses. I thought that was very odd, but then I learned later that um, Elvis had an eye problem and needed sunglasses. Um, and then if we have time, I'll tell you what happened when the Beatles finally said hello to Elvis. Oh, I'd love to hear it. Why don't you tell us? We got time. Okay, good. So, so we jump out the cars in Elvis's driveway, and John and the boys had had a few uh, cups of tea. Cups of tea are a sort of a, a euphemism for a little bit of marijuana and maybe a pet pill. So they were, they were feeling no pain. And they were actually, strangely enough, fairly anxious about meeting their idol because Elvis was their idol. And Elvis, after all, was, a, was, was the king before they became top of the heap. And John right. bounces out the car. Yeah, John bounces out the car, marches up to the front door and shouts at nobody in particular, we're here to see Elvis, which is kind of amusing at the time. <laughs> so the door, the door opens and we all march in. And the, the room is fairly half, half crowded with mostly faces of people we didn't know. Most of them were members of Elvis's Memphis Mafia. And there I see, and I sort of disappear into the woodwork, and become invisible, or try to. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. the Beatles sit down opposite a guy with, with a shaggy, um, shag carpeting sideburns, and it's Elvis. It's the man himself. Well, let me tell you, the problem was nobody took it upon themselves to be the greeter, the official, hello, welcome to Elvis's house. I'd like you to meet Elvis. Nobody did that. I mean, it was amazing. So as a result, we sat around or stood around for 10 minutes, and Elvis was watching a large, giant screen, 16 to 18-inch television screen, which was giant in those days, with, mm-hmm. a remote, with a remote control, and the sound wasn't on. There was a jukebox in the corner, a lot of people sort of hanging around, waiting for something to happen. So finally, after about 10 minutes of ridiculous, uncomfortable silence, Elvis jumps up, says, I'm going to bed unless you guys came here to jam. Well, that broke the ice, and the the, the guitars were pulled out, and then they began to play music, mostly Elvis music. Paul Ringo didn't have any drums. He went in the other room to play pool and, and help himself to pizza and food. And the Beatles jammed with Elvis for about 10 or 15 minutes. No Beatles music, mostly Elvis music, uh, Sam Cooke music, Little Richard music, no Beatles music. And that's how the ice was broken. That's all the time we have this week. Come back next week for part three of our conversation 
with Ivor Davis. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.